Welcome to The Picklist, the podcast for curious food industry minds. I'm Julia Glotz, a writer, editor, and consultant specializing in food and drink. Every week, I'm joined by an expert guest to discuss the news, trends, and developments shaping food and grocery retail right now. You'll get a personal perspective on how business leaders and leading thinkers from different parts of our industry are making sense of the big issues. My guests will also share what's on their personal reading list, bringing you a curated selection of thought-provoking articles from the trade press, national media, and other titles. You can find links to all the articles and suggestions for further reading in the episode show notes and also on thepicklist.co.uk. Now let's start the show. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of The Picklist. I hope you're having a good week. My guest this week is Darren Nichols, Retail Technology Operations Director at Henderson Group. Darren is an expert in retail technology, of course, and he also works very closely with convenience retailers across the UK as well as Australia. So he's just been a great person to talk to, to really understand what's happening in convenience in the wake of the pandemic and how technology is helping independent retailers adapt to new shopping habits. So that's coming up in a moment. But first, let me bring you up to speed with some of the big food and grocery retail stories this week. Inflation reached a 30-year high in January, with the CPI hitting 5.5%, driven by much smaller January sales events this year. Economists predict the CPI will hit close to 8% by April, when household energy bills are expected to soar. Kraft Heinz became the latest major FMCG company to say it is putting up prices in response to rising raw materials and transportation costs. The company said that it had raised prices by 3.8 percentage points in the fourth quarter and expects inflation to be in the low teens percentage range for 2022. Retailers are continuing to reinvent their loyalty schemes in response to inflation and the cost of living crisis. This week, Waitrose announced it's overhauling the My Waitrose scheme to give shoppers personalised offers and discounts on a range of products, including counter products. The new scheme would also offer deeper savings than the previous version, Waitrose said. Separately, Leon announced this week it's launching a points-based loyalty app called Leon Club. Members will get 100 points for every £1 spent, and once they have 3,000 points, they can redeem them for a free single item from the menu. Poundland is getting even more serious about food and grocery and expanding its range with fresh lines. The retailer has just unveiled its biggest ever store in Nottingham, which will carry fruit, veg and bread. It plans to roll out the fresh offer to more stores in due course and is also ramping up its chilled and frozen offering. It's all part of efforts to reposition Poundland as a budget-friendly alternative to the big supermarkets. Marks & Spencer is raising its minimum pay rate for staff to £10 an hour from April. The retailer is also introducing free health checks to workers as a benefit. It's just the latest example of industry-wide efforts to recruit and retain more staff across retail and hospitality sectors. DEFRA is launching an investigation into the supply chain crisis in the UK pig sector, which has so far resulted in more than 200,000 animals being backlogged on farms. 
And finally, rice brand Tilda is moving into dairy alternatives for the first time. The brand is launching an organic rice milk alternative into Waitrose later this month. These are some of the big food and grocery retail stories this week. You can find links for everything I mentioned in the show notes and also on thepicklist.co.uk. And now, here's my conversation with Darren Nichols. Darren, welcome to The Picklist. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you for inviting me. Great to be here. You are head of Henderson Technology, which is the tech business of Henderson Group. Many of my listeners will know Henderson Group um, as the owners of Spa, Eurospa, Vivo and other franchises in Northern Ireland. And of course, just as a distributor of food and grocery products to convenience retailers. So you are very close to what's happening in the convenience sector. And of course, you're an expert on what's happening with retail <laughs> technology. So I was so keen to have you on the show because there is a lot happening in convenience. There has been a lot happening in convenience over the past two years. Lots of exciting things happening in retail tech. Yep. So I thought, you know what, I need to get me a guest who can who can talk to me about what's what's happening in those sectors. So I'm I'm thrilled will, will, I've managed to twist your arm and get you on. <laughs> I will try try my very best to give you my my two bobs worth. Yes, absolutely. I I have great confidence in you. But uh, <laughs> before I bombard you with questions about retail yes. tech and convenience, can you just give us a quick overview of what exactly you do at Henderson Technology? Because sure. I described it as retail tech, but that's quite a broad term. Um, isn't it? So it, what do it, you do specifically? It is. A, so yes, my, my fancy title of retail technology operations director is really about encompassing everything that a computer touches in one of our shops. You, we, um, the Henderson Group uh, kind of owns, supplies, works with over 500 stores in Northern Ireland. And we identified probably close to 15 years ago, that we really needed to understand and get and in, into retail technology. It was going to shape how our stores would operate. You know, our stores were expanding, bringing in a lot more forecourts, and we knew that technology was going to be part of that, that journey. Um, I don't think we knew how much it was going to be part of it, as it's turned out, but uh, we decided very early on then that we were going to embrace it. We were going to um, invest. So we essentially created our own EPOS system for our stores. So we created a till system called EdgePOS um, for all our stores so that we could uh, understand our franchisees, understand our company-owned stores. The, 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 everybody talks about having one version of the truth, but it is really under, to understand how sales of tins of coke are happening across all outlets. Um, and, and the multiples operate off one till system for a reason. You know, it's not necessarily the same in symbol groups um, where there's a, a churn of retailers and, and not focus so much on the technology. But we saw this as, as kind of key to us understanding our, our customers as retailers and our customers as shoppers. So we created the system. We, from scratch, it, it was a, a nasty birth. <laughs> it took a lot of time. It took a lot of, it took a lot of effort. Um, in those early days, but we created something that was actually really good and really, really positive. And we deployed that over over the, the kind of next six or seven years across all the stores. So if, if, you, if you're trading with the Henderson Group under one of our banners in Northern Ireland, you will have our till system as part of that overall deal so that we can really understand and, and help the retailer. Then about five or six years ago, we decided what we'd done didn't just apply to, to us, it applied in so many other operators. 
And so we entered other markets and started selling our EPOS system to other convenience stores. So we have 170 stores uh, across Australia. And uh, then in GB, we're now in 60 or 70 stores. And for the group, it's been a very successful strategy that we've done. The, the, the group's now, uh, it is either one of the largest um, family-owned employers in Northern Ireland. Obviously, you've, you've already talked about EPOS. Um it's like it's one of those terms that I think people use quite quickly and they go, yes, of course, EPOS. But to a sort of um lay audience, if you will, yeah. what exactly does an EPOS system um unlock for an independent retailer? What are they suddenly able to see that they would not have been able to see before? I think it's it's an interesting point. I always say that we're doing our job really well when nobody's talking about us because <laughs> Um, I'm sure that's a nightmare for your comms and PR. (laughs) Yes, we just have a lot of self-praise, you know. (laughs) Essentially, technology is there to enable retailers. It's a key part of the business. We're very cognizant of the fact that it's seen as an expense and a a challenge and and something there. But where we try to position ourselves when we're talking about EPOS, it's about it's about information, you know. Um, they always say information is the new oil. It's more than that. Information is the lifeblood of the business. Uh, and EPOS, Till Systems, call them what you like. Um, they're a way of gathering information so that you can understand the business better. And that's that's. And if you look at it in those terms, you start to see how key it is to actually run the shop. And it does not matter how big or small or what what services you're doing in the shop. It's about understanding how, how you can run your business most effectively and uh, get more sales. A wise man once said to me, these systems are either making you money or saving you money. That, that's essentially what they're for. Um, and when you understand that it's about that information, the big thing we see is about making sure that every aspect in your store, as you grow and you bring in more services, is all feeding back into that little melting pot of information. So you have one place to go to understand how your store is operating, whether that's a a deli counter, a hot food, whether it's self-checkouts, whether it's your forecourt at the front of the shop, bringing that information for everything together and understanding your sales data, understanding the margins that you're actually making on products really can can change how you operate the shop. Technology is never changing. It's part of my part of my job as technology is to embrace change. But retail technology takes that to another level because retail is changing so rapidly. So we try and distill that down, do the hard work of seeing what partners are out there so that we can go to retailers and inform them and say, well, here's a partner. Um, The benefit we have is we can then say, well, we've tried it in our 100 shops. This is the, the performance that we've seen. Um, and then let them embrace that. You know, electronic labels is, is a really interesting case in that we we brought them in. Um, uh, not a particularly innovative thing if you go to the continent that's everywhere, but in, in the UK, it's not really very, very used. We put them in, we thought it was something to go with, put them in our company-owned division uh, in a couple of stores and just analysed it and found that it was improving our margin. Plain and simple, you know. Um, we were then able to use that to go, well, by the way, if you're thinking about... COVID and efficiencies and keeping staff off the top floor and actually an increase in your margin, why don't you try electronic labels? And it's a case in point, same thing for self-checkers. If we can position ourselves of taking out the, the unknowns for retailers, because there's an awful lot, um, then EPOS can be a really powerful tool. When I think of independent retailers, I think of people who really know retail 
and who mm -hmm. have brilliant gut instincts in many cases yep. around what works for them, what works for their customer base. Yep. Is that still, A, is that a fair perception? And are you finding that sometimes it can be quite, it, it's a challenge or it's a journey to kind of get people to say, yes, you need your brilliant retailing instincts, but there's actually something really exciting in the data as well that can work alongside and it's not a threat to your, your instincts or your expertise as a retailer. I think entrepreneurship is the lifeblood of independent retailing. That's their 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 uniqueness, you know, where you might be against the, the larger groups where they have to have decision making and they have to have committees and they have to think about things. The big thing independent retailers is can do is go with their gut and go after things. They do know their customer more than any company coming in and saying, well, we know your customer better than I will. So again, it's about it's about that conversation that you have. The system should be there to, to help them with things that, you know, for the best will in the world, they won't have sight of day to day, you know, and, and as their operation grows and they bring in more staff, um, that separation from the actual day-to-day -day grind grows, you know, and that's that's the bit where we can position to help. We've brought in things like lost opportunity reports, which is the system looking at your sales, looking at your stock level and predicting, well, if you had brought in another case because of your average daily sales, we can see that you would have sold another two cases of that over the next four days before your order came in. So it's about bringing some analytics to things that, that retailers with the best one world don't always have the time to get into or maybe have the, the data to do you know even if you look at simple things like ordering having the system um using suggested order and these are not things that we've thought of these are kind of standard parts of a system suggested sales based ordering where the system's looking at your sales across the shop but trying to work out the essentially the minimum amount that you have to buy from your supplier to get through to the next order time that they're going to come to you because that then frees up cash you know and We've seen things like that in areas like, like cigarettes, especially those high value lines. Um, people instinctively have a comfort blanket of what they think they should stock and what they should have in their in their back rooms, not realizing that can be 10, 15, 20K of cash that is continually uh, locked up there. If you move and if you, if you help them through into a, a place where the system's then doing sales-based ordering for them, immediately there's money back in the business and that can be used for different areas. And, and those things, depending on the operation, can be really life-changing and game-changing for yeah. some stores, you know? Totally. So it's not, it's not about replacing their their skills. It's about enhancing them and working with them and saying, well, here, here's another direction. Here's another avenue that we can do. And packaging all that all that up in a way that's accessible for them, you know? Um, Tesco, as all the major multiples will have teams of people looking at technology all the time. Independent retailers don't. And they rely more and more on third parties to bring these solutions to them. Did you find that some of those conversations became easier in the wake of COVID? Because obviously convenience retailers saw massive spikes in sales, different people suddenly shopping, different missions, different needs. So I, 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 in a way, that sort of case that says, you know what, sometimes you have to respond to trends that are really unpredictable. You can't do that. You can't rely on instincts alone. Did you find that suddenly yeah. that awareness changed a little bit? I think I think awareness changed um, sensitivity to the the volatile nature of the business. You know, it is. You know, a lot of people have said like the past two years have really been like 
uh, 700 Christmas Christmas <laughs> Eves all wrapped into one, you know, and not in a good way. But sales have just been spiking over and over. Availabilities have been challenged. But you've also things on the other side of that where staff levels have been really challenged. How you know, how they could have people on the shop floor, you know, because there were the restrictions on on how many people there. She didn't want staff being the ones in the shop floor. You wanted customers. So what we've seen is a huge spike in in terms of um, people adopting self checkout. And, so, and again, this is another thing: self checkout is is not a groundbreaking innovation. Um, it is it's well versed in the multiples but again what that means is the multiples have done all your your training with customers for you uh, and there's a massive opportunity across independent retailers to embrace self-checkout you know and it's a first a step on a journey to amazon go you know but um we again looked at self-checkout packaged up and developed it ourselves to make it really cost effective and meant that retailers could adopt it you know and very quickly very rapidly Add it to their till set and, and offer self checkout. That that helped both in terms of service because staff were a challenge, but also uh, people felt it was a bit more secure in the COVID environment. You know that they were able to get in and get out without too much interaction. Electronic labels, as we were talking, were another thing where they didn't want people on the shop floor changing labels. It's become even more now because of inflation and price totally. spikes. Managing all that, you know, all of a sudden it it, it brings a lot of unforeseen benefits because we've taken a bit of a long term so I, th- I think definitely the past two years have have really ramped up that investment from stores um and the openness to changing part, part of it's because they had to i, I hate having to go into a retailer like a distress we talk about a distress purchase mm. i don't like to start a relationship with one of our customers in a distress purchase i, I much prefer that it's with a strategic mind we're, we're thinking about where we're going to go together but it has it has brought a lot of kind of conversations to the fore and and you get into things like cyber security as well which independent retailers are now having to grapple with and and of course that, yeah there've been some high profile cases of suppliers being hit by by exactly. ransomware attacks and so that all these things that independent retailers wouldn't have necessarily had to get the grips with are really affecting them and and so being a good technology partner to them is vital, you know. And we'll have an opportunity to talk about some of the specific challenges yeah, that, that yeah. independent retailers are, are trying to navigate at the moment mm-hmm. as well, and that they'll need technology yes. to, um, to to do that with in, in a second when we get onto our articles. I wonder, yeah. though, what are your sort of big priorities within Henderson Technology for this year? Because you've talked about, obviously, you there's EPOS, there's mm-hmm. electronic shelf labels, there's self-checkout. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. the big thing where you're saying, actually, we're really focused on driving that piece of kit or, or that piece of technology? Our biggest thing at the minute is, is digital engagement. We've kind of lumped that that term covers an awful lot of things. I was going to say, but I don't know what that means. So you'll have to explain <laughs> so that, that to is, me. So essentially what I'm what I mean by that term is mobile technology to engage with shoppers. How does that really impact independent retailers, groups of retailers, symbol groups? Um that that covers online ordering, it covers home delivery, it covers scan pay go in the store. Um, it covers all these aspects where all of a sudden retailers are um, interacting with shoppers before they're in their shop, you know. Um, and we see, again, looking at the market trends, looking at the new entrants, all this kind of stuff that we can see in the marketplace is moving very rapidly at the minute. And what we're trying to do is work out 
A, how to embrace that in the right way for independence and what, what ones are the right way to embrace. So we have quite a number of trials ongoing at the minute um, with partner companies about how we can um, try scan pay go, for example, in our stores. You walk around the store scanning the labels and then check out in your app and walk away. Um, where home delivery, click and collect, where it's going to land. You know, the past two years have been uh, quite extreme in terms of the fluctuations in the amount of home delivery and click and collect that people have been taking, and not all of it has been profitable for retailers, and it's been a challenge. It's going to land, it's going to come down and land somewhere, but it's going to be part of the mix. So we want to understand the technology um, that, that's going to make that happen. You know, So I will have a trial in the next few months with uh, lockers, click and collect lockers, You know, so temperature control lockers on a forecourt um, through an app that's linked to the EPOS system so that the sales and stock are all right. And again, back to that point I was making before about having one central point of understanding your store, having this all integrated together. But again, being able to allow people to come to your store, lift what they want and go and see see how that works. Um, so all that, that's what I mean by digital engagement. It's talking to, talking to shoppers before they get to your shop, you know, and, and changing that dynamic it's, it's really interesting because re retail is a people business and it always will be a people business. Uh, independent retailers, it's even heightened how, how that personal interaction that people have with their shop and, and their corner shop and their local shop. Um, but there is a, I suppose there's a balance to be had between technology and people, you know, um, and, and it's that mix that we have to get right. And so that's that's our big big push this year is just about understanding where, where all these technologies, which ones fit, and and then packaging that again together for our retailers. Totally. And I think this is probably the perfect point to start talking about your first article, which is from <laughs> Better Retailing. And the headline yes. here is Amazon and Getia Home Delivery Threat. So it builds quite nicely from what you were just talking about in terms of not necessarily going to the shop, but having the the products being delivered to you. Just for the, the benefits of, of listeners. So this article is reporting that Getir, which is the rapid delivery startup, is going on a big expansion and recruitment drive as it looks to build up its presence in the UK. And then separately, it also points out that Amazon, of course, is already offering same day grocery delivery through its partnerships with the likes of Morrison's and Co-op. And of course, this is better retailing. So the angle here for an independent retailer audience is that, you know, as an independent retailer, you are going to face more competition. You've got more people who are trying to go after that similar kind of convenience customer. Um, and you need to figure out what that means for, for your business. Exactly the questions that, that you were just uh, talking about there as well. And, and Darren, you said, you know, a big priority for you guys at the moment is just sort of understanding actually what, how is this going to pan out post-COVID? Because as yeah. you say, over the past two years, shopping patterns have been unusual. And yeah. then to see where, where the, the opportunity is for, for independent retailers. What is yes. your current thinking on that? How do you expect that sort of rapid delivery or home delivery landscape to affect convenience longer term? It's it's really interesting. It's it, uh, I picked this article because it just it, it strikes of a theme that's going on. You know, if you look at the landscape, there are a mass amount of entrance entrance into this rapid delivery, based around major cities at the minute, around London, around Manchester and things. 
but it, it strikes of a new wave of servicing customers that that's that's exploding at the minute now. And it's exploding in terms of the amount of money that's being invested in it by venture capitalists and things. Now, and entirely very unprofitable at the minute, but these guys don't invest money just just for the goodwill. They see a long-term future in this and they wouldn't be putting hundreds of millions into this if they didn't think that this was a this was a way that customers wanted to be served. And again, with Amazon, Amazon, a couple of years ago, whenever they opened their first uh, Just Walk Out store, it was a gimmick and it was a very nice, and, and we would all have been um, at a point of saying, well, that's just Amazon flashing their money and, and showing what they could do. They'll never rule that out because it makes no economic sense. Um, they now have 16 of them. They plan to have 260 by 2025. Um, and they've slashed the price of it down from over a million um, I was reading the other day from a million dollars for one store now to about 200,000. All these things are changing the way people expect to be delivered. And that, it can be seen as threat, but I, I prefer to see it as an opportunity for, for, for uh, retailers to really get behind and think about how this works for their store. Um, nobody, the answer is nobody really knows how it's going to land and where it's going to land. But we do know that um, younger generations are quite willing to pay extra for quick delivery service. So when you factor that in, is it going to affect our margins? Maybe not because the customer is willing to pay more for that service. The challenge comes then is whether you partner up with the likes of Get Here or one of these guys, or whether you feel you can service that yourself, you know, and there's massive costs. There's a real, depending on who you've spoken to across the businesses, there's um, there's a real challenge about whether partnering with a third, part, third party logistic company that is set up to do this is the right way, or actually in the long term, is that more of a threat because you're not building your brand, you're building their brand. Totally, and you well, don't own that customer relationship. Exactly, that relates, the customer is related to Getty or they're not related to the spa or the laundry store that, that's servicing it. So there's a real challenge for retailers, and I, it's one of those ones that I think is more a question at this point than an answer that I have. I think it's one of these things that people really have to think about strategically where they go. There's a lot of people um, got into bed and have taken on third-party delivery companies because it was, again, as I was talking about, a distress purchase. They needed to do something, and that's fine, and that, that's a, that, that, that serves a purpose. Um, but it's making sure that that's done profitably. You know, A lot of these entrants come from um, restaurants and those kind of backgrounds. Um, where the margins are very different to what they are in a convenience store, but they don't seem to have particularly changed their models, and therefore the actual amount of money that they're they're charging retailers can mean that there's a real challenge with some of them in actually making this profitable. And there's no point in doing it if it's not profitable for retailers. So it is about you know embrace. I think it's about embracing it. If you look at independent retailers by their very nature, are based locally. They're based in their communities. They are based in exactly the same place that if it's a dark store or if it's a rapid delivery company that's coming in to set up, they would be looking at their location. So I think it's about embracing the fact that all these retailers across the country own these locations. They have them. They have, and they have a head start against whether it's rapid delivery or Amazon because they, they, they're there, you know. So it's about thinking now about how they own that relationship, how they embrace it. Uh, and in what ways? And there are lots of ways to do that, as I was saying. And and maybe third parties are the, the short-term solution to that. That that's grand. But you have to understand the caveats of that. Is that it's their brand that's getting bigger, and they're the ones doing the marketing about it. Um. So, 
I think it's a really interesting discussion point for retailers to really think about and and work with partners to see what they can do. You know, um, there is always going to be a place for destination shops, you know, and, and that's why we're seeing investment in stores and chain. Some of the independent stores now are amazing. You know, they'll rival anything on the planet. Um, and that is a, a key differentiator for people to come to the store. But there's always going to be this demographic of people who want you to come and service them. So how can people do that? How can they own that? And how can they make sure that their store that is positioned in exactly the right place to do this and exactly the right way really own that, you know? What you've said about the opportunity potentially for, for independent retailers, I think is, is absolutely mm. true that, that, yes, the location is exactly where some of these operators are trying to be. But it's about, yeah. as you say, understanding who are you potentially partnering with? What's their business mm-hmm. model? Um because yes, there is a lot of investment, there's lots of interest, but profitability yeah. is a challenge. And it feels like that entire sector, there's so many players at the moment, and it's already consolidating. So picking exactly. a winner at this stage is, you know, I, I, could be I anyone. I wouldn't like to do it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's going to be an awful lot of consolidation and, and a lot of these venture capitalist companies will be in to make money by selling the company on. Um but it is. It, it means. It means there's still opportunities there. It, it's these are threats to the business as well. Uh, but threats are just opportunities in a different form, you know. And I, I think it's about embracing that. There is a journey that either we're going to be dragged, kicking and screaming against, about towards frictionless, or we we start to embrace. We start to go. Well, we're offering self checkouts. That's the first step along this journey. Next step is we're going to offer you an app that you can scan, pay, and go around your shop and and leave with that third or fourth stage or fifth stage maybe the frictionless kind of uh, trial stores that we all see in the Amazon Go but I think it's about embracing those bits that work for people now you know rather than either ignoring it at your peril or um, or being scared of it, it's about no well this, what's the opportunities for me in this you know and how can I change the way we work totally and and also you know as you said right at the start the fact that this technology is out there in other stores and in mm-hmm. the big mults now as a shopper, you don't go into your independent retailer going, "Oh well, of course they don't have this because the you know <laughs> the, the business model is very different and and the margin yeah. structure wouldn't work." You're just used to being no. able to use self checkout, and now exactly. there's Why this friction that, yes. point exactly. Yeah. And there is there's always it's always better to offer it before it's expected. You know, if you're if you're seen to be chasing things, you're always going to be on the back foot. So you're better stealing a bit of a march, using that as a differentiator. Um, but uh, but also showing that you are forward thinking and you're reacting to how how the world is changing, which is quickly more quickly than it ever has done. You know, absolutely. And on that point of the world changing and changing quite quickly, I think <laughs> I'm going to take you to your next article, which is from the Times, and the headline yes. is "City Workers Lead the Way in the Week We Went Back to the Office." <laughs> And again, for the benefits of of listeners, um, this is reporting that now that the work from home guidance has been lifted, people are returning to offices and city centres. And this, of course, has implications for how and where they are shopping and they're buying food and groceries. Um, Quite interesting, a few stats in that article. Pret, for example, was reporting that transactions in its stores in London's financial centre are now almost back to 80% of their pre-pandemic peaks. But although footfall has been returning, there's very much a consensus in this piece that we are not returning to the traditional nine to five. Hybrid working structures are here to stay. And that is 
in some places having quite an interesting impact on grocery and hospitality businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the CEO of Green King is, is quoted in the piece and he says that takings on Tuesdays and Thursdays are now higher than Mondays and Fridays because people <laughs> aren't in the office full time and they're often using Monday and Friday in particular to, um, yeah. to have days at home. Um, Mm -hmm. Changes to working patterns, of course, had a massive impact on independent retailers. That initial lockdown, people were shopping more locally. Mm -hmm. Um, And now, of course, as we're seeing that that return to to office life, how have you seen independent retailers respond to that? And what stood out to you from this article? I think that change in the actual pattern of, I think that's probably the, 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 the bit that really spoke out to me, was the change in the actual spend. Um, a pattern across a week that really has a massive impact for for retailers you know um re- independent retailers have been amazed for the past two years in terms of their reaction their quick thinking this whole piece that we're saying about being fleet of foot and being able to react and change um has been really important because supply chains have been really challenging um and because they've been dealing with all these issues themselves and their own store teams and so that flexibility, I think, is going to be really important as we go forward here. Ordering patterns for uh, replenishment are going to change because shopper shopping habits, if that continues, are going to change. The actual store proposition is a really interesting one. You know, if you're looking at not everybody being in, in work every day, um, it's more about then when they are there, but what are you going to offer them when they're there? They're now used to a certain level of service. Um, and a certain expectation of what they've got when they were working from home. So tastes have changed, habits have changed. Um, the fact people are only out a few days a week, people are more willing to uh, engage that time and use that time wisely. So they'll be looking for more experiential retailing. They'll be looking for those differences that they get to what they're used to at home. So again, back to this, there's real opportunities for retailers to come and, and look at their offering and, and make sure that it's tailored, food to go, hot food, deli, all those areas of the business that are really starting to, to get a real good hold and get a real reputation in independent retail. They have a massive opportunity now to really upscale that. And again, it ties in perfectly, actually, with the, the third article we were going to talk about, mm-hmm. which is from The Grocer. And it's quite a long, in-depth piece on the state <laughs> of the convenience sector at the moment. But it's exactly that message coming through as well. Um, the headline is why the convenience market is betting big on its future. And yes, it's all about investment and saying, mm-hmm. actually, there is you know some cash that's come into that sector because of what's happened yep. over the past two years. Not, you know, forward-thinking retailers are really kind of alive to the opportunity mm-hmm. there is in holding on to the shopper, um, as you say. And so they are yeah. investing in their stores, they're upgrading their stores to make sure they they hold mm-hmm. on to, to that business. Um, and what I thought was quite interesting is that that investment can take quite a few different forms, and you've touched on a, on a few of them already. Mm-hmm. Um you know, food to go, coffee to go, yeah. vaping in, in many cases is, yes, is a focus, yes. getting more fresh and chilled lines into, into stores mm-hmm. and, you know, a whole range. In some cases, completely new formats and refits and other cases just having, you know, maybe a slightly fancier hot chocolate to go offer that you can <laughs> you can put somewhere in there. But it seems to be that the mood is very much... Um, now's the time to to invest uh, which i think is really interesting and i do i do think it's it's remarkable in some sense because there are also so many challenges in the sector mm-hmm. 
And not just yeah. convenience specific, but across grocery. You know, we've talked about inflation a little yeah. earlier. We've talked about the supply chain crisis. Um, you know, Brexit in various forms oh, yes. continues to uh, to to you know present problems. HFSS yeah. is coming down the track. All of yeah. that. Um, so I think for, for for retailers to say, despite that, or do you think it's because of that we need to be investing? <laughs> I, think, I think it shows. I think it shows confidence, which is fantastic. It shows confidence. I think. I think people are looking these kind of comparisons to where they were two years ago, and seeing that that it's not that people were just loving them and leaving them. They they have stayed with them, and that's giving them confidence for the future. I think it's a lot of things that we've touched on before as well. I think people are looking at what's happening around the business. There's lots of consolidation. There's lots of changes. Um, and so either and, and, and either they're investing it in their stores, they're building their stores bigger. In Northern Ireland, our, our challenge is making the stores bigger, you know, and that's and so you see a lot of retailers buying land or houses next to their store, making a bigger store for it and, and then being able to offer more services in there, you know. So it's not necessarily about more stores, it's about bigger stores with bigger offerings. And you can see that um, quite a lot and then an interest in, in that kind of model. But I think it does. I think it goes back to that confidence the retailers are seeing, the confidence in their offering, you know, and whether that's through partnership with their wholesaler or whatever, whatever way has got them that success. Um, most of it will be down to them. And, it's, and so confidence in that offering, confidence in their position with their communities, because over the past two years, They've had they've been key to serve some some people's livelihoods and have been a, a lifeline to to sto- to customers, and so that breeds confidence that people then understand what this what what the shop is for. Totally, and I always feel like I'm I'm going to put a downer on things now by saying there's that yes there's lots <laughs> of con- um, confidence in the market and and you are clearly excited and it's really kind of yeah. palpable you know you've got a lot of confidence in that sector and and, and in the opportunity. Mm. What could potentially derail? that opportunity what what do you see as a potential challenge or potential threat that that sector needs to be paying very close attention to because otherwise they could potentially uh, get in the way of that growth story one of the biggest things you know we still have to challenge sometimes is complacency and, and, and perception that because what you did yesterday was good what you do tomorrow will be fine um, so for those real estate retailers that aren't investing and that, that aren't really looking at their offering and going, right, how do I take this on? All these changes mean that actually the world is changing at a much more rapid pace. We have always thought, you know, I talked about our digital engagement strategy. In 2019, that was a five to 10 year strategy that we had. You know, we were thinking about, well, what would a customer of 2025 or 2030 be looking at? That's now a customer of 2022, 2023. So I think that's the one watch out is if you're not investing, if you're not looking at your offering, um, beware because somebody else is. And I think that's that, that's it. And if somebody sees an opportunity that you don't embrace yourself, then then that's where the challenge can come, you know. So I definitely want to leave you then on a positive note because you're someone <laughs> who, you know, who, who sees lots of stores, talks to lots of retailers. Yeah. Is there anyone off the top of your head, any particular store or retailer, anything you've seen in Northern Ireland, in GB, in Australia, wherever that made you go, you know what, that is just brilliant. I am so <laughs> impressed. This is a great example of what independent retailing can do. Well, that's that's, that's where I will refuse to be drawn in the <laughs> because as, 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 as my mother always says, she loves all her children the same. So I love all my customers just the same, but... You know, you see some fantastic stores being built. You know, I was uh, 
we have a, a partner here in Belfast called Galvin Wall, who's just opened up a store in, in the middle of Belfast, in, a, in not the best area of Belfast. Belfast, may, you may or may not know, has had its challenges over the years. But this is one of the most challenged, socially depraved areas. Um, and has built this most amazing shop, you know, as a local, because he believed that the community should be served just because it was a, an area that had a bad reputation. And he has built the most amazing store. I was there today with some, some visitors over from England, showing them around. And he's embraced every bit of technology that we could possibly sell to him or possibly provide. He's put everything in. And the store opened uh, about, about a month ago, is already trading way beyond anything any expert ever ever thought amazing to see shops like that um so we see them kind of right across northern ireland we're seeing that growth we've been very lucky in northern ireland the, the stores essentially are usually a bit bigger than they have been in, in gb um so we see some really exciting ones there and, and the kid and me i always enjoyed retail that's why i'm in retail technology i love retail so i get excited by new stores they're opening there but we see so many really smart operators across across the UK and GB that we're working with. Eris Retail up in, up in Scotland are doing some really nice store designs. And, and again, the Sewells and all these people are, are doing fantastic stores and it's really exciting to see. It's exciting, that's retail excites me. And I, I think there's so many fantastic operators that it'd be very difficult to choose one to say they're, they're fantastic. You know? <laughs> fantastic. But no, thank you so much um, for, for coming no on the show and just giving us that insight into what's happening um, within retail tech and in inconvenience um, particularly. And I certainly relate to this idea of, of the joy of being nosy. I think that's always that. <laughs> <laughs> just having a look around lots of, uh, lots of different stores and yeah. see what everyone's up to. Too. but uh, Darren thank you so much uh, for coming on the thank show it's been much. great to have you on thank you thanks very much for your time Julia thank you thanks for listening I hope you enjoyed the conversation and found it useful if you did please consider giving the picklist a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening and leave a review it tells me you're enjoying the show and would like it to continue and it helps me reach more listeners if you'd like to connect you can find me on LinkedIn at juliaglotz.com and on thepicklist.co.uk. And if you'd like more thought-provoking reads for your personal reading list, please subscribe to The Trim, my free weekly newsletter at juliaglotz.com forward slash newsletter. See you next time.